Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out about every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, man. That was incredible. Time of worship. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 4, as uh, Miss Claire just read for us this morning. These last few weeks, month of January, we've been looking at this series entitled The Way of Jesus. Uh, kind of a way as we start a new year to recalibrate our lives, uh, to, to kind of walk in this idea of counterformation into the way of Jesus. And within that way of Jesus, he lived his lives, uh, imagine a triangle, primarily in three ways. It started first up with the Father. The Jesus' primary goal on this earth was through the Father's will. You see this model throughout the New Testament as Jesus got alone to pray and spend time with the Father. But also Jesus lived his life moving out as well. That he came not for the healthy, but for the, for the sick, to seek and to save the lost. And, and you see this through his healing ministry, through his teaching ministry, through how he sent his followers out to bring the good news. And then today we're going to look at this picture of living in, of being in a spiritual community. And Jesus himself lived his life in an intentional community and spiritual family. He, he said his family were, were those who listened and obeyed the voice of his father. He lived his life intentionally with these 12 followers that went ever with him, that lived with him. So Jesus lived this life of up, in, and out. And there's been this phrase throughout this series that, that we've said, we plant what we grow. We plant what we grow. And here is uh, the tension for us today as we think about this. Most of the people in this room, um, if you consider yourself somewhat of a follower of Jesus, but even in a larger sense, we all kind of want two things, I believe. First, we want, how about this? Don't you just want to do better? We're, in, we're talking about marriage today. Don't you just want to be more patient with your spouse? Don't you wish uh, your words were just kinder to your spouse? Don't you just wish you were a more loving person? And if you're a follower of Jesus, we just want to grow spiritually. We want to mature spiritually. That's the first thing. And second thing that I believe every person in here wants is we want our world to be better. Amen? We want our world to be better. Even this weekend, we see in Memphis these terrible things happening. We just want the world to not be so broken. 
to not just be so dark and ugly and divisive. And for the follower of Jesus, what you want is his kingdom here on earth. We want spiritual maturity, and we want this beautiful picture of God's kingdom here on earth. And it's the growth that we desire. We want that to be what grows. But I don't believe many times we're planting the right things to see that kind of growth. Here's what I mean. Most of the things that we decide to plant are primarily individual pursuits. Not bad, they're needed pursuits, but they're incomplete pursuits. Here's what I mean. is I'll read the Bible. I will pray. I will do this and I will do that. And the problem with that is that it's incomplete and it's also not a picture of what Jesus Christ intended. Hear this, friends. He came to start a new family. He did not come to institute a new collection of individuals, but a a new family. And there's something we've lost in this Sunday-centric church culture. In our kind of on-demand podcast, YouTube sermon, church culture, we, we believe this subtle lie that our spiritual growth is our own business, our own job, and our own efforts by ourselves. We believe in up and out, but we don't have time for in. We've got podcasts for that. In modern Western Christianity, the stage has replaced the table. And the church has suffered. The stage has replaced the table and the church has suffered. It's damaged our witness. Because now the people of God just put on a show. Instead of, what did Jesus do? How did he do his ministry primarily? He ate with his enemies. He ate with the sick. He ate with the lost. The table was where he did the ministry. And hear this today, friends. This Sunday-centric, stage-centered approach to your spiritual formation is stunting your spiritual formation. It's like we have a diet of like, you know, like my diet in, in, in real life. It's like it's insufficient, guys. Like we need more than chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. Like we need some, some good vegetables in there sometimes. And we, thank you, Heather. And we need, hear this today, friends. Whether we know it or not, we need each other. You desperately need other brothers and sisters in your life and at your table. And hear this as well. There's going to come a day when, when he returns and there's going to be this great table and this great banquet where every, tie, every tribe, every tongue, all the people who call Jesus Lord will sit together at this great meal. And what the church is called to do before he comes is we're to eat and prepare our way for his kingdom to come here on earth, that we practice that eternal supper right now. And there's this beautiful picture of what God can do through the people of God living in this way. He came, he came to create a new family. A new, imagine if you got 
married and you had kids and your kids turned two years old, said, all right, dad, I'm good. I'll see you later. I'll listen to some stuff you send me on some, on some podcasts, but I'm going to do this by myself. I'm good. No, I, I want a family. I, I want grandkids. I, I want all these. I want a family. Jesus came for a family. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We have taken that and made, let's do a better show on Sundays, right? The city on the hill is the people of God living out the truths of God in a hostile world. And when the people of God are living in a kingdom way, when all kinds of people, right, rich, poor, black, white, Republican, Democrat, when they come together under one banner, right, church, under one banner and live in this different kind of way, that is a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand. And it gives light to the whole world. The church should be the bright light, the hope of the world. In the same way, let your good works shine before others so they see what you're doing. They see the church. They see the people of God. And what do they do? They don't give glory to us. They give glory to him because something is different there. And friends, that's the church I'm praying for, amen? That we can come together and we are so utterly dependent upon the spirit of God that something is just different. And people say, they've been with Jesus. Not they have good programs or their curtains are nice or any of those kind of things. They say they've been with Jesus. John 17, he says, he he prayed this, the world would know the father's love by our love for one another. John 16, he says this to his followers. It's better for me to go and the spirit to come. And the spirit comes, invades, empowers, and sends out. And the church scatters the family of God, literally changed the world. Jesus' legacy is the spiritual family. The spiritual family is the city on the hill. It is the hope of the world. What's tough for us in a church context is that we have seen church done very badly, correct? This is why I've had many people come to me and talk to me about deconstructing their faith because the church has hurt them in such a way. The church has not been a city on the hill. The church has been this counterfeit, whitewashed tomb where the presence of God was void. And so for us, we think of this, and it's hard for us to picture this. But friends, this city on a hill, it is possible. This city on a hill can be reality as we study the scriptures, as we follow our Savior, and as we love one another. The spiritual family is your greatest hope for spiritual maturity. Most people in this room, we are stunted because we're closed off. We're stunted because nobody knows us. We're not healing because we're not going to the place where healing is found. Confess your sins to one another and you will be what? Healed. But for many of us, we have all the stuff in us, but we're not doing the one another's of scripture and we're not being healed. And I say that knowing that many times what has hurt you is people, correct? 
What has hurt you has been the church sometimes. But healing is possible. Healing is necessary. So today, we're going to go to our friend Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians to a church in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. Let's go to Ephesians 4. And we're going to see how Paul describes the people of God. And today, here's the, I'm going to give it away. We have two attributes and one practice. You know, like family attributes. Um, I'll give you an example, and I'm going to pick on somebody, that I, people that I love. Um, if you know Layton and Lydia and Luke, um, the Allen clan, um, woo, that's right, man, we love them, help lead our church. Um, one thing, all, an Allen attribute is this right here. They will tell you what they think. Amen? If you ask them about something, they will tell you the honest truth. That's a family attribute of theirs. Uh, me and my boys, we're bow-legged. Like, you see us walk, like, you know what's going on. Like, they walk kind of funny. And so that's a wood boy attribute. But there's certain things in the family of God, as the world sees us, there are these attributes. They, they, there are these markers when the world sees us that can only be the church of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Worthy of the calling. This is a picture of the church, of what they're look like in response to what Christ has done. Paul spent chapters 1 through 3 declaring the good news of the gospel and its cosmic implications. And here in, in chapter 4, he turns and says, Therefore, in light of all this, walk differently. Walk in the way that you were saved. Which is our first big point. The spiritual family is set apart for the world, from the world, for the benefit of the world. We are set apart from the world for the benefit of the world. And then Ephesians 4, verse 2, we see our first kind of family attribute. Verse 2 says this with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. In love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So you read this, and it reminds you of, if you know the book of Galatians that Paul writes later on, of when he writes about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. You see these fruits that he's talking about, but here, here's the key you see in verse 2. And here this church starts with humility. Starts with Humility, which is, as you read this, it reminds you, you, go back to Matthew 5, doesn't it? Where Jesus in his famous sermon, where he kind of gives the, the, the kingdom of God kind of principles, was the first thing he says? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray for us real quick. Uh, dear Father, in a religious culture that has heard the gospel thousands of times, in a culture where we are good, moral people, in a culture where there is money in the bank, it can be hard for us to be poor in spirit. Father, as we look at your words, Will in your kindness, will you break our hearts? Will you form our hearts to be poor in spirit? We love you, Jesus.
Oh, it's your name. Amen. Friends, healthy spiritual family starts with poor in spirit people. If we come to the dance like we've arrived to the dance, we're never going to dance properly. Does that make sense? Here, the kingdom of God is not made up of people who have done good. It's made of people who realize how bad they are. And so that's how we enter into this thing. It's how we maintain unity. It's how we maintain all these things. It starts with humility. We bear with love. <laughs> if that's not the most church thing I've ever heard, my, ever heard my entire life, that's so true. We bear with one another in love. Here's a real news flash. You will not like everybody in this place. You will not, when you get to heaven one day, there'll be all kinds of people you don't like there. We are to bear with one another with love. Not like, oh, it's them again, but with love, with love. Ross said in the marriage thing, we've been forgiven billions and we're asked to forgive thousands, right? So we receive this forgiveness from God and we let others be loved. We're eager, we're eager to maintain unity. We make every effort to maintain unity. Which all this leads to our first attribute. The spiritual family reflects the character of Jesus. Jesus saved us, Jesus adopted us, and the church should look like him should look like his life. His people should reflect him. The way the world was changed was by poor in spirit, uneducated people who looked like Jesus, who didn't hold their life too tightly, who loved freely. But here's the drift for me and for us. Many times our character is not shaped by the truths of God and the people of God. It's shaped by individualism. What's best for me? What's the path of least resistance? What's easiest? But see, character is formed through the hard things, isn't it? It's formed through the hard. It's formed, hear this, our character is formed by bearing with one another in love. So here, here's the good news. The person that drives you crazy in the family of God is a gift from God for your character formation. So thank them every day. I'll never forget, uh, me and Tracy, we had just had Hayes, firstborn child, um, and uh, he was phenomenal. And uh, Tracy uh, did, she breastfed for a while, and then we went to the bottle and the formula, she started back to work. And we had a, a friend of ours um, that, I remember one day we were at, at, at a house sharing a meal, and I'm holding Hayes, feeding him a demonic formula. And, and uh, I'm sitting there as, as we're at in life, we're busy, it's what we can do. And uh, my friend begins to lecture me for an hour about just how terrible we are for doing this, basically. And, um, and he's a Christian and a, and a brother in Christ, and I, and I do love this man. And it was in that moment where I stopped being a peacemaker. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, we love our kids, we love your kids. This whole thing started. And I was so mad at this guy. But then as the Spirit of God does, he humbles me. That this, this man, this friend, this brother is teaching me what it's like to bear with one another in love. Hear this, friends. As we get close to one another, we are going to offend one another. 
And many times God is using that offense if we allow him to do something supernatural in our souls. Because who bared more than our Savior? And the goodness of our God is he is not done with us. He's not done. He wants to keep working, keep molding, keep loving, keep forming, keep changing. Because he loves his kids. And that happens as we bear one another in love. But we're not patient. Because we found a shortcut to spiritual growth, being away from people. We just remove ourselves from temptations of being frustrated with people, right? But we've missed out on so much. The spiritual family reflects the character of Jesus. But Paul doesn't stop just with our character and our formation. He gives an even grander view of this calling. Go to verse 4 in Ephesians. He says here, there's one body, there's one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This big point here that we are one. And we are one through what Christ has done. That is what, church, hear this. What unifies us is what Christ has done. That's it. Keep going. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high and led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What does that mean? Very quickly, this is what it means, is that Jesus is the victor. It's this picture to like these Old Testament kings that would win the war and then take all the spoils of the war and give them to his people. So here is the good news. Jesus is the conquering king, church. He has defeated the enemy, defeated sin, defeated death. And what it says here, he has now given his people, the church, the spoils of victory. And those spoils are the gifts and the passions that lead you, as it says here in verse, in verse 10, that he might fill all things. Keep going to verse 12. He says here in verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in these spoils, he gives this diverse leadership the role to equip the church for the work of ministry so that he might fill all things. See, this great unity we have in him also leads to great diversity in our passions, in our spiritual gifts, in our spiritual burdens, in our spiritual influence. So what you see here, our second kind of family attribute is that the spiritual family is unified but diverse. It's unified. We're brought together for one reason, but church, hear this, we're different. Different gifts, 
passions and burdens. And this has become, in a sense, a, a way for us to divide. Through our diversity of passions and of gifts, it's a way for us to divide. Because we love to just find a new tribe, a tribe that thinks just like us. And it's why we have so much division in the church, right? We have the charismatic church, and we have the Bible church, and we have the Reformed church, and we have the Baptist church, and we have the Methodist church, and the Presbyterian church. And those aren't necessarily bad things, but I do think we're way too quick to find the people who think just like us who have the same gifts just like us. I'll give you an example. Um, in this, I'm a more shepherding type leader, which means this, I am always thinking about the individual person, how it's gonna affect them. How can that person be nurtured and healed? And it's a slow process. And uh, one of your pastors, Luke Allen, is not that way. And Luke Allen, he is a dreamer. Right now, he's with like 10 church planters celebrating their anniversary. And he, he is like in hog heaven right now as he is thinking like on this like global scale, how we can plant more churches and reach more people. And here is the truth. Sometimes those different giftings can collide and they ca can cause tension if we don't remember one thing, that we are unified with the work of Jesus Christ. And in this room, there's people that are more charismatic, that are more evangelists. They're more like, just teach the Bible. Friends, we need all the gifts at the table. We don't need to separate the, to our corners. Part of what makes us beautiful in a conflicted world is we put secondary things as secondary and we hold one thing as primary. That is so unique in this world. Bonhoeffer says this, Sorry, when we think of our, our ideal of community, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community. And it must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intentions may, never be, may ever be so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Our ideal of a community of people just like us can destroy community. Here is the key. We must resolve to focus on the giver of the gifts and not the gifts themselves. We must focus to, fo we must resolve to focus on the giver of the gifts and not just our differences. So the kind of two attributes that we've talked about is we reflect the character of Jesus. And second, we're diverse, but we're unified. And, and that's what a spiritual family can look like when it's grown up in the right way. But what do we have to plant? What are the seeds we sow? What are the practices we do to walk in that way of life? Go to verse 14. Paul says this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, by the ways, carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and schemes, rather the truth and love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from the whole body joined, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul is aware of the, the temptation to drift. 
Do y'all get that temptation to drift sometimes? You know what's shocking to me is how much I can drift in 24 hours. How much I can drift in a week. You give me a month and bad things can happen. And so I know there's friends in this room right now that have drifted. I don't say that to give you any kind of shame, anything at all, but I want to remind you that um, drifting leads to danger. It's like when you're on the, on the ocean, you know, and you start drifting further and further out. Paul's aware of what drifting can do. But you see here also just, I'm struck here in verse 16, just the closeness of, what's these words again, the body, whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. When each part's working properly, it makes the body grow up in love. You just see this picture. I love a team. I love a team. Uh, I love watching uh, basketball when like all five players touch the ball, the ball's being passed. They're, they're just this perfect, cohesive unit. And is there something about the church that it should look the same way when it's working properly? That they're just, these people are really tied together. Man, there's this real symmetry in what they're doing. There's this real love in what they're doing. And it makes the body grow. It's how we mature. It's how we look beautiful in a dark world. But what's the practice? Like, how do we do this? Go back to verse 15. Here's the big thought today. Take this away. Practice this. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. The spiritual family grows through speaking truth in love. You really hope for spiritual spiritual adulthood. We really hope that our community that is that needs hope, right? It, it, I think it, it really does start this simple practice of us speaking truth in love. See, if you really kind of deep, do a deep dive into this, what it really is, it's speaking Jesus to each other because Jesus was the embodiment of truth and grace, truth and love. You cannot have one without the other. It is unloving to not speak truth. And to speak truth without love is just unhelpful, isn't it? Speaking truth and love is where the gospel that's preached gets massaged deep down into our souls. So we're talking about marriage today, right? And we're going to get all kinds of great wisdom and great advice, and we should receive these things. But can I just maybe have an argument for something that's even greater? to be at the table, because here's the truth. When you sit with me at the table, you see how I talk to my wife. You do, for better or for worse. And I see how you talk to your kids. When we're at the table, we see who we really are. And if I'm honest, that's why we avoid the table, isn't it? Because we are so afraid to be called out on those things. But on the other side of that faith step is healing. Here's the hard part. You can't speak truth in love as you listen to a pastor preach. 
And I hope today it's encouraging. I've prayed and worked all week to encourage you with this message. But you can't speak truth and love from just hearing this. It can shape how you speak truth and love about gospel truths. Here's the here's key. To speak truth and love, we have to get near each other. We have to get near each other consistently. And this brings us back to the table. Friends, the table is where life happens. So Dave and Heather DeLoach, uh, they lead our men and women's ministry. They also lead a missional community in the Bozier Benton area. And we sat down uh, before Christmas, I think, and they had a heart to just establish more of a presence from their home, basically, as a missional community. And we prayed and we talked and here was the game plan. Go to the table. Just put it on the calendar, invite people to the table, show up and see what God does. And they did that. They put on the calendar, they prayed, they invited. Uh, I think first week I remember talking to them like, yeah, only four or six showed up. Remember that? And, but those four or six, like God was doing something. And that's, they, they just kept, here, here is the word. Consistent, faithful. I'm going to go side road for a minute. Sorry. This week in my time with God, it's been all week long. These two words. And I've talked to you this week, you probably heard it from me. Um, uphold and walk upright. We are not called to uphold our lives. That's the work of God. He upholds us. He is our helper. He protects us. He's the rock. Our job is to simply walk in faithfulness. We're free. We just have to look at him and walk upright. Don't uphold, you can't uphold your life. Walk upright. Okay, turn it back now. Um, and so they just were consistent. Uh, they were faithful. Uh, they invited people. And there's been like no grand plan. Ask them, no grand plan, right? Praying, showing up, open the word, share something, eat some good food, laugh together, rinse, repeat. Next week, three, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, and then, friends, there's, they had a thing at their house for like, it was like 40 people there last week for a Cowboys game. That was awful for those people. And, but you talk to them, and there's some, they can only explain that God is at work. It's these, you know, you have that season in your, in your faith where you just read Acts over and over again, and you just yearn to be in the church, in the early church. Friends, when we learn that the table could be the central point of the church, the central gathering point of the church, even as much as Sundays, when we learn that truth, we'll start tasting early church type freedom. But for us, everything else is a priority. Full disclosure, this is hard for me as well. I'm a classic introvert. When I get home, I want to talk to nobody and do nothing. But what happens is I drift. I drift and become more and more and more selfish. The spiritual family grows through speaking truth and love. And so if you're here today and this idea of eating a meal with semi-strangers, um, or if you're here and you've done this for years, you're kind of tired of this and you're not sure how to kind of get back in this game, here's my encouragement. Slow and faithful. 
slow and faithful. You're not going to grow and become like this life of the party kind of person overnight. I am never going to be that way. But put your yes on the table. What Luke say? A yielded yes. So I have kind of just really one next step for us today. One thing I want to put in front of you today to help us reflect the character of Jesus and for us to really grow in unity and use our gifts. Here it is. Commit to the table. Commit to the table. Write it down, text yourself, text me, whatever you got to do. Commit to the table. Friends, the reason that we have these things called missional communities is not to make ourselves smile. It's because we believe that the table can heal. That if we gather in the name of Jesus and hold his name high and gather under his banner at the table, God will do incredible things. So if you want to, get, if you want to find one of those tables in our church, great. We'll connect you. We'll help you. We want to do that. If it's not our church, find a table somewhere. You need more than just good preaching. Good preaching is important, but you need more than that. Find a table, find a people, become known. Now, that's the next step. I do want to help you at your table. So here's three practices, three little steps to make your, to, to practice truth and love at the table. To not just have a meal, but to practice truth and love at the table. First step, first thing, share. Share 2% more than you want to share. If it was a bad week, give, an, give a, just a, a hint of why it was a bad week. You know, right? Like, oh, it was a struggle this week, brother. Man, it was just a tough, tough week. Well, what does that mean? You stub your toe, get in a car wreck, you kill somebody? What does that mean? And so um, just give 2% more. Give 2% more. Have you ever been to one of those communities when the one person shares? Like we're all like, yeah, I'm just in my prayer life. It's, it's a C minus right now. Um, and the guy says, yeah, man, I hate, my, I hate my life. I sin every day. I sin in this way. Every, and then the room changes because someone was not playing games and it changes the room. Share 2% more. Second step, ask questions. Don't be the guy when someone shares, like, oh, read your Bible more. That might be what they need to do. Ask questions. Here, here's the, the phrase I love, be curious. Be curious. Be curious. You know, because we're all different. We all have different sins. We do. Be curious. Third, remind the gospel. Share, ask some questions, understand people better. And through remind the gospel. Remind of the gospel. This, is, this doesn't have to be very super complicated um, or complex or big or dramatic. It's simple as, man, how was your week? Man, work's really tough. I mean, how, how is, how, what's going on at work? Well, you know, there's a coworker that they just, they're just always giving me a hard time. God, what are they doing, man? Well, like they talk about my back and they say I'm not doing a good job and they're just, they're just not, they're tough to be around. I said, man, I'm sorry, man. That is, that, that is really tough. And so only thing I encourage you is this right here. Um, your work is not for that person. Your work is unto the Lord. 
and you can go to work and not focus on that person. Just worry about pleasing God, and that's it. Walk upright. Don't fix crazy guy. It's as simple as that, friends, that we, we learn to be salty people. And can I tell you a secret? People, Christian, Buddhist, atheist, seekers, whatever, people are dying for that kind of community. All throughout our neighborhoods, people who do not know Jesus are dying for a peace, just a, a, a taste of the Jesus life, the Jesus community. Because here's the truth. The people in our community, what's going to really help them see the gospel is not hearing it again, it's seeing it lived out. In real life, with real people, with real love, with real words. Not just a pastor on a stage, but people in the streets. Does that make sense? Commit to the table. Share, ask questions, remind the gospel. The spiritual family is set apart from the world for the benefit of the world. I want to give us some space now. That's my, that's my sermon. End of sermon. This is the community that I long and I pray for. I do not, I, I, mentioned my, I mentioned my funeral, funeral earlier during the welcome. It was a really bad idea. But as I think about, I'm going to end one day. Um, and friends, I don't want to end with us just playing some American church game. Do you? We don't, do we? I don't think we do. Um, I have this picture all the time of... And forgive me, I live in North Bossier Benton of St. Charles Court of Legacy, Shreve Highland, all that all those hot in places, Blanchard places, South Shreveport, our plane dealing friends out here, Belmere, just these neighborhoods that are full of people. that they've been to a church. They, they've heard a guy like me talk and they probably even profess faith at some point in their life. But there's a good chance right now their marriage is on the rocks, right? Uh, they're in debt in their eyeballs and they don't have one friend they could call. And Father, forgive me for my indifference And as we just kind of silo ourselves to our couches, to our homes, to our refuges, we don't mature and the world withers away. There's a better path in this way of Jesus. As we learn, as even Luke said, everybody talked to Luke that after that sermon about how great it was. He said, I told you to read your Bible and pray. That was the whole sermon. Read your Bible and pray. As we learn to like walk with God as we learn to really be this different kind of community where we commit to the table and speaking truth in love. And as we learn to invite people into that community, I believe God will do supernatural things. So how about this? Let today be different. Is that okay? I'm feeling very free this morning. Is that okay? 
what if today we just prayed? What if we just prayed that in five years, there's 25 table communities in our place where there's, there's these kind of vibrant acts to kind of things happening all throughout. Light in the midst of darkness, cities on a hill. So I invite you to pray. Let's all close our eyes. Um, invite the band up front. Our prayer tends to be in the back. And I want us just to pray for a moment. And let the Spirit of God and His kindness lead us to repentance. Just talk to God, even right now. Ask Him, what is preventing you from committing to the sacredness of the table? thank you for your goodness in our lives that you've adopted us and now we have a new family Father help us to reflect your character Father help us be unified Father give us the strength and the faithfulness to commit to your table Help us take next steps today. I love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, and now we're going to practice the table, even right now. What a, what, a, what a beautiful thing. Where we come to the table and we share this special meal. And this meal we declare in one voice while we're unified. That the body of Christ was broken for us. The blood of Christ was shed for us. And because of that, we're now one. We're being healed. We're perfectly loved. So whenever you're ready, like you might need to just pray for the next 10 minutes or 30 minutes or hour, whatever God's doing, asking you to do, or go pray with our friends in the back or, or, or go find someone in this room and reconcile or, or whatever God's putting on your heart. It might be the time to do those things. But whenever you're ready, come to his table because the beauty of our King is he says, come all who are weary. Poor in spirit, this is for you broken this is for you come come it's finished the work is done come put your faith in him and come enjoy this meal when you're ready